That's a thing we haven't done in a while is dismiss kids to Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it is amazing to have uh, like a larger number of people in the room. I, I can't see you. I've got this bright light <laughs> shining in my face. I, I think you're there. Uh, and I know you're there online. I can't see you either, actually, as it turns out. So, uh, but what a, what a delight to worship with the sound of children, actually. Um, it's the little things you don't realize you miss. Um, so as you're aware, well, I'm going to like do damage here. Let me reposition myself. All right. As you might be aware, I think you're aware, we've been going through this year of um, looking at the large story of Scripture. I've drawn heavily uh, in the background from a guy called N.T. Wright, who's a, a scholar, a British dude, um, he talks about how uh, the church, so that's the movement we're in. We're talking about the church. He talks about the church, its role is to pay attention to the story. He has this analogy. I was going to read it, and I thought, ah, he's a little hard to listen to because um, he's so, anyway, he's a smart dude. I've posted a little thing on Sermons Plus under church. Um, it'll be listed under N.T. Wright. It's worth, it's just a little excerpt from a much larger article, so I've condensed it, or actually some dude in Sarnia, Ontario, condensed it. Uh, I invite you to read it, but he talks about how, how the story's like a five-act play, or a six-act play, I think, five-act play, he says. Um, but we've lost part four, or part four was incomplete, the part on the church. Um, so so we, the church's role is to pay attention to the first parts of the play. And we sort of have inklings where the play is going, right? So we know there's creation, fall, redemption. You pay attention to those things. We know that the story is moving toward a new creation. And the church's role is to pay attention to the story so well that as we're invited to write the fifth part, we write it in a way that's consistent with the story. Um, It's what we were trying to do last week, if you recall, as we responded to the tragic story um, out of Kamloops, and, and, and sort of try and make sense of uh, some of our Canadian story, actually. But in light of God's story, we're trying to pay attention. How would God have us respond, right? This is, and you don't always get it right, but you try to pay attention to the story, to the things that God is doing, the things that God has done, the nature of who God is revealed through that story. We have a sense where the trajectory is going, and we're then called as a church historically to write that middle act, say, well, what would that part of the play look like in the year 100, in the year 2021? And so that's where we are right now. And I'm going to just, we're just going to pay attention to a couple churches. Uh, This week, Antioch. Next week, the Colossian church. The week after that, the Ephesian church. Just briefly, as they're trying to pay attention to this story and live out faithfully what it looks like in their context how to, how to follow Jesus. So let's look at the story of um, Antioch. And um, if you would, if you'd humor me, I guess, I, 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 we don't often do this practice, but you're, there's a number of you here in the room, and I'm grateful for it. I would invite you, if you could, to just stand to hear God's word. Um, and just hear God's word written, or written, but also now read to you. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 19. It'll be on the screen for you, I think. Uh, but just hear God's word about this church. 
Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them about the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So let me give you a tiny bit of context, and let's talk a little bit about this church and how they lived in their moment and what it says to us. So the story, if you notice, picks up in uh, verse, or it picks up right away. It says, you know, those who'd been scattered because of the... um, because Stephen had been killed. That actually picks up the narrative in the book of Acts back in chapter 8, where Stephen, one of the early Christian martyrs, gets killed. And a persecution breaks out, and the believers get scattered. They get sort of, yeah, forced out of Jerusalem and hunted down. And just a note here, actually. It's not really, it's just a side note in the sermon. But, um, you know, persecution... We're going to hear that very negatively, that word. And I'm not pretending that it isn't negative. Persecution is not a good thing, I think. But the way that Luke writes about it in Acts, and the way that Paul will talk about it in some of his letters, it's not the worst thing. Persecution actually provides an opportunity for the kingdom of God to expand. And it's just worth noting that. Uh, We've just come through a a pandemic, which is not a persecution. They're not the same thing. I'm not suggesting that. But we come through difficult things. Um, And for the biblical writers, these difficult things that interrupt our lives aren't the worst thing. Certainly not if the kingdom can expand. And so if I, just to give you you a sense of this, if, if I define my life in terms of my comfort, then the pandemic is a terrible thing. Because my comfort's been, you know, it's been interrupted. I can't do all the things I want. But if I allow the kingdom of God to shape my horizon, then the pandemic's not a good thing per se. I'm not, again, not saying that. But the pandemic doesn't 
stop, in fact, maybe even encourages the kingdom of God to, to expand. All right, do you see? That's what Luke's doing here. It's Stephen's persecution, while not a good thing, allowed the kingdom to expand, which is a good thing. And so, I, just worth noting. Uh, one of the places they end up here is Antioch. You'll see it on the map here. Uh, I put a little red arrow on the right side of that map pointing to the city of Antioch. It's now in present-day Turkey. I think if I were to look at the history, it's one of those cities that the city hasn't moved, but the borders have, so sometimes it's in this country and sometimes that country, and on and on it goes. Um, You'll notice, actually, just to the east of Antioch, it'll be hard to see on that map, probably, but get an atlas out sometime, uh, is the city of Aleppo, where some of our friends are from, right? The Sajarzi family. So they're just east of Antioch is where they grew up and spent some other time before the Syrian conflict. So this is Antioch, a city that's now in present-day Turkey, close to the border of Syria now. And the way the story plays out for Luke, as he's telling it, is some of these Christians that have been scattered, they're going to preach only to the Jews. It's still predominantly a Jewish church. They're preaching to the Jews. Other Christians, when they arrive, start preaching to the Greeks, or sometimes your Bibles might say Gentiles, like non-Jews. And the word gets back to the church leaders in Jerusalem that something kind of is happening over in Antioch. So they dispatch Barnabas to figure out what's going on. That's exactly how the story reads. They send Barnabas to Antioch to see what's going on. Well, let's see what's going on in this church. I'll tell you, you know, churches aren't perfect. There's good churches and there's maybe less good churches. They're not perfect churches. But of the New Testament churches, I'm pretty favorable to Antioch. That feels like a church I'd like to be part of. Um, So let me show you a few things. Uh, The first, uh, and I've touched on it already, the first thing I'd want to say about Antioch is it's an open community. Um, They proclaim the good news across social, economic, or social ethnic divisions. Right? They're not just preaching to the Jews. They're preaching to the Greeks. And it's really hard to conceptualize for us how radical this is. How radical is that Jesus absolutely shatters these ethnic divisions. Right? If at a later point in uh, Ephesians, when Paul's writing about this, he says, For he, Jesus, is our peace who made the two groups, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews here, he made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's absolutely shattered this. Like if you were to go to, it's hard to go to any place right now, but if you were one day to go to Jerusalem and sort of inch your way toward the West Bank, there is a massive wall there. It's huge. It separates, the, it's, it's, the wall goes all the way around the West Bank. It, it, they've walled it off. And there's all kinds of political reasons for that, but it is a wall. And what this text is saying, and the wall is to se- separate people, right? And they, again, they've got their reasons. But in, in the theological sense here, Jesus is saying, Jesus, well, Jesus isn't saying, Jesus did. He shattered this wall, this division between people groups. He absolutely shattered it. You can see it in his life. He hangs out with people that are of ill repute, uh, people he shouldn't hang out with. Lepers, right? And, and, 
people of, of shady moral character, and on and on it goes. Jesus crosses again and again these socio-ethnic divisions. Later on, Paul will say, in Christ there is no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male and female. Those divisions are gone. They're reimagined, right? Again, in our culture, that at least uh, uh, at one level, at surface level, we talk about inclusion and tolerance and all that. These kind of things are hard to grasp, I think. But try and imagine, masker, anti-masker, if you will, or political conservative, uh, political liberal, or social conservative, social liberal. Um, rich, poor, ethnic minority, white. I don't know what divisions you think there are in our culture, but this text, the Antioch Church, gives a description of these divisions don't matter. They've been obliterated. And this kind of unity then in Antioch and now for us is a powerful witness in our world. Notice, and it's no surprise here, verse 21 of the text I read, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. It's hardly surprising this church grew because they were living out of this new social reality. The ways of the world weren't the ways of the church and the ways of the kingdom. The kingdom completely re-envisioned these places. And if that wasn't radical enough for you, and it is radical, it really is hard to communicate that in our culture, but it was radical. But notice that Barnabas goes another step yet, and he seeks out Saul, right? This was the Saul who was in support of Stephen being killed, martyred. He's since become a Christian, Saul has, but it's still like, I don't know. It's the guy that's endorsed killing your friend. And Barnabas invites him into the church in Antioch. And Saul becomes a teacher there. Do you see how open this community is? How welcoming, how radical that stance is? It's a tremendous community. The second thing I'd want to point out for this community is they're generous. And so not only now is the socio-ethnic divisions completely reimagined in light of the gospel and his kingdom people, but economics is completely reimagined. Right? So toward the end of the text, they hear that this famine is coming, and they, they, they recognize in Antioch, hey, we're pretty blessed, we've got some extra, and they gather an offering, and they send it to help uh, people who are struggling. They are blessed, but they fully, fully understand that their blessing is for one reason only, to be a blessing. It's not so they can build a bigger house or uh, eat more shawarma or whatever it is they eat in Antioch. Okay, that's not the deal. It's they are, they, the economics of the kingdom is about, hey, we've got enough. These people are struggling. Why don't we just give them some? Right? The whole economic system in the kingdom is, 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 is turned upside down. Some of you know the name Gregory Boyle. Uh, some of you don't. He's a, he's a priest that works with uh, gangs in L.A. Uh, he's written a couple books. This is one of them. Uh, and he talks about them in, he, it's his language, so he refers to them as homies. Uh, 
that doesn't sound right out of my mouth, but I'm just going to quote from him. So this is what he said. Just hear this. This is powerful. The poor are always one straw away from calamity and catastrophe. Homies who have now chosen to, quote, play by the rules, often find themselves stuck in what I call the forced choice, of ec- uh, the forced choice economy, having to choose between, say, feeding their kids or paying their rent, doing without heat and electricity or putting gas in the car. There's a good chance that the camel will fall for them, or, the good chance that the camel will fall for them today. Living in such precarious and, uh, precariousness is stressful. Yet navigating that kind of stress is also awe-inspiring. A homie named Cruz spent his last few dollars taking a Metrolink train 60 miles to Los, from, um, to Los Angeles from San Bernardino, where he had relocated his lady and his newborn to avoid the dangers and desperations of gang life. He had a part-time job but could not get his boss to give him more hours. Now he sits in my office rattling off a list of pressures and needs for his family with no safety net in sight but me. He speaks of no food in the fridge, no lights, landlord looming, no bus fare. When he finishes this breathless account, Cruz stops shaken and exhausted and he grows teary-eyed and he quietly says, I, I just keep waiting. For, for, for what, son, I ask? For the last to be first. I just keep waiting. Friends, couldn't the church be the place where that becomes a reality? Where the first are last and the last become first for people like Cruz, right? Where the economics and the social divisions have been so turned on their heads that, it, that we would be like the church in Antioch. It's just good news. It's, it really isn't surprising this church grew. Also not surprising in the text, if you read, is this is the first place that, this, that followers of Jesus were referred to as Christians, little Christs, if you will. Okay, the reason they were called Christians is because they looked a bit like Christ. Do you understand? The Jesus who himself crossed ethnic lines. The Jesus who himself was generous. Beyond belief. And as the church begins to embody these practices, they begin to look a bit like Jesus. And the culture around them picks up on it. Go, that looks a bit like a guy I've heard about. And they label them Christians. There's debate on whether that's actually a derogatory term. Like, ah, Christians. Or if it's, you know, I don't know. We don't need to get into that debate. The point is they looked like the one they were following. Those on the outside saw. And that gets us, I think, to the third point and maybe my most important point. Because it's easy to miss, I think, the thrust of this text. It's easy to hear, well, you guys all be more generous. You guys all, you know, be more open. Um, And for sure... Uh, you have been that, and we continue to be that. But the third point here is they are faithful. This is a church that is deeply embedded in the person of Jesus. Notice what Barnabas says when he actually shows up, or what they say of Barnabas, right? In verse 23, I really can't read that. When Barnabas arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. 
right? This wasn't just a bunch of kind people. What he saw in Antioch was what God was doing in their community. They had embedded themselves in the person of Jesus. They were faithful, and, and it's the very thing that Barnabas encourages them to continue doing. He encourages them to remain true and faithful to the Lord. There are a lot of ways that we can do that, and we'll explore some of them in the coming months as we, we talk about spiritual practices and all that. But really, it boils down to one practice. Spend time with Jesus. If you want to look a bit like Jesus, then spend time with him. I have, over my years, known a handful of people um, who've drifted in their faith. And all of them, I'm going to say, it didn't, they didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm walking away. It's a slow drift. And they quit being connected to Jesus. Jesus' teaching back in John 15, abide in me, remain in me. So, like I say, there's multiple ways to do this. But if we want the kingdom of God to come, if we want the kingdom of God to be formed in us as an individual, if we want the kingdom of God to be formed in us as a community, then we need to allow the king to form us. And that's the thrust of this text. In many ways, all Luke is doing in Acts 11 is describing what's going on. Saying, hey, this church was open. They were incredibly welcoming across ethnic lines, across social divisions that existed in their culture at their time. They were incredibly generous. They didn't think of their stuff as their stuff. They had just been completely rewired because they rooted their lives. They were standing with Jesus. And that's the challenge of the text. Paul, or Peter, actually, later on in a letter he sends out, says it this way. He says, live... I won't try and quote it. Let me read it. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and what? And glorify God. Not say, oh, that's a kind person. They might say that, but let's... Help them see past that. That we too are Christian because we have been shaped by Christ. That's the thrust of this text. And what this church was about. It was a God-shaped, Jesus-formed witness to the kingdom. And it was good news. And that's our invitation in our moment as we sort of emerge out of some pandemic restrictions, as we continue, as we step back into a society that at points I hardly recognize, fractured across all kinds of ways, I, I don't know how you're going to dial some of that back. Things have been said, and you're like, ah, oh, man, now what? Things have been done. Things continue to be done. As a Christian, how do we step into that world? And the answer is I don't know fully, but what I do know is be faithful to Jesus. Find ways to spend time with Jesus and allow Jesus to shape your response as he did for this church in Antioch in their time. One last thing. Missional. This was a missional church. This is not immediately obvious in this text, 
But all three, so you know that Paul goes on to do missionary journeys to various places in, in uh, the, you know, the area of Asia and later on into, into Greece and Italy and all of that. Three missionary journeys. All three of them originate in the church in Antioch. You can look at that in the book of Acts. They're, they're ascending church. And we too seek to be ascending church. So I am going to invite um, the band to come up. They're going to actually play one more song. And then Matt is going to come up and pray for some people we're sending this summer. Um, even in the midst of sort of pandemic sort of stuff, uh, there are people from within this church community that are going to serve all summer out at Camp Chestermere. And we're going to pray for them because uh, we too seek to be and lean into this part of being a missional church. As these guys are getting in place, let me just pray. And, um, yeah, that we would allow Jesus to shape us as we live in our world, in our time. Lord Jesus, we do pray that we hear this invitation to be faithful to you. To find ourselves so immersed in a relationship with you that we have spent so much time with you that we look a bit like you as we live in the world. That we would be generous, that we would be open and welcoming as you, Jesus, are generous, as you, Jesus, are open and welcoming. But shape us, God, to be your people in this cultural moment. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.